we'll get started this morning. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive in to our passage this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, we thank you for uh, really a beautiful day with the snow on the ground, and uh, Lord, just how it many times highlights your creation. And so we just thank you for a beautiful morning, keeping the conditions um, not too severe, uh, so we could be here and, and be here safely. And uh, we just pray that you would bless the day, bless our time as we study uh, Genesis 4 this morning, as we think through uh, your word and just the beginning of things. Uh, we pray for our kids and for our youth downstairs as they get to hear the word uh, proclaimed to them, that you would use it to uh, work in each of their hearts. We pray for our service. Uh, in just a little while, that you would bless uh, every aspect of that, be glorified uh, as we worship together, as we encourage one another, as we hear from your word. Uh, Lord, just be magnified uh, today in our midst. And we pray for our ministries this evening as well, for Kids Club, for Youth Group, uh, as we get to proclaim to them the truth of your word. Lord, just uh, let it have its full effect. May it draw uh, students, kids to you, uh, to see the gospel, to see your provision of, of grace and so, God, we just thank you for uh, the various opportunities we have today to minister, uh, to be an encouragement to one another, to uh, receive your word. Uh, Lord, help us just to uh, focus on you today, and may you work in our hearts. And we give you all the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are on to Genesis 4, and uh, my goal is we should uh, finish Genesis 4 next week. So we're picking up the pace a little bit. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 16 this morning. Last week we wrapped up chapter 3. Of course, chapter 3 is where things take a turn for the worse. God's perfect creation is corrupted by Adam and Eve's sin. And we looked last week at the consequences to the serpent, to Adam and Eve, to the world as a whole. And we continue really into chapter 4 to see the consequences of their sin uh, really being magnified uh, as we look here to this uh, history this historical account of Cain and Abel. So let's read verses 1 through 16, and then we'll walk through them verse by verse. So this is, again, we don't know how long after the fall, but it seems pretty immediately after. It says, Now Adam knew, his, knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. 
Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then the Lord sent Cain away from the presence of the Lord. Or then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Okay? So let's unpack this. We'll go back to the beginning here. We see uh, this account in verse 1 of Cain's birth. Um, we're not, again, sure how much time passed since the fall, but we talked about this a little bit. Um, I think it was maybe two weeks ago where we talked about, you know, how long were they in the garden? It didn't seem like they were there long because uh, they would have had children. It would have been something that you think Scripture would have recorded. If there were children born before the fall, that means there's a race of people that don't have a sin nature because of Adam and Eve uh, and being descended from them after the fall. And so it seems likely that this is pretty quickly after the fall. Um, you know, Eve probably is, even though the conditions have worsened, there's been a curse upon the earth. She's probably still very fertile. And so she would have probably conceived pretty quickly and had this son Cain. And even from her exclamation, it seems like the excitement she has from having Cain is the excitement of uh, a woman that's having her first child and really the first child ever being born, right? Look at what she says. She says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So there's a sense of kind of awe at, you know, God created the first man, Adam, out of the dirt, and now he's used me to create and to produce the second man on earth. And it's interesting that that word man is used and not child, which is typically the case, but I think it shows us that she realizes, hey, this is another, uh, another man, another like Adam that God's helped me to produce. So there's a sense of excitement, which, again, probably points to, this is probably um, her first child. It doesn't mention that specifically in the text, but it seems like her reaction is uh, from just a first child experience. Her exclamation could also be because she thought this was the promise that we saw in verse 15 of chapter 3, right? That there'd be a seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Uh, some, I, think, I can't remember if it's a specific translation or if it's the way... I think it's a note in uh, the Schofield Bible where it actually words it as I've gotten a, I've gotten a man from the I've gotten a man even the Lord is how I think the Schofield Bible has a reference there so it's almost showing it as though she's saying here's the promised seed he's already here right this is God's provision um, we don't want to read that into the text but it could be that she's excited because this seems like the fulfillment of that promise of that seed that would crush the head of the serpent. But we're going to see that that quickly changes and, and that, that hope is dashed as Cain is, is definitely not that chosen seed. Um, so we see, uh, at least in this, in her exclamation, she's gotten a man with the help of the Lord. There's at least a sense of probably repentance at what she's done and at least a, a trust, a dependence upon God. So it seems as though maybe Eve's heart has been turned because of the consequences of the fall and because of God's promise. So Cain's name simply means gotten, right? Just like her exclamation, she named him Cain because he's, she's gotten this man with the help of the Lord. Um, and so, again, this is probably a new experience. I mean, think about that. Uh, a woman getting pregnant for the very first time, probably apart from God helping and revealing to her what's going on, there'd probably be a lot of concern, right, <laughs> with why is my belly growing? What is this, you know, inside of me, that kind of thing. So we see this newness, this first child being born. Then very quickly, verse 2, it says, And again she bore his brother Abel. Okay, So we see here Abel's birth. 
Um, and, and it's interesting, there's not, again, a time frame mentioned between the birth of Cain and the birth of Abel. Some people would say that because there's really no gap in time or no mention of time passing, that it's so quickly that maybe Cain and Abel were twins. That's a possibility. We can't say that explicitly, but there's a possibility that, you know, Cain's born, I've gotten a man, and then Abel uh, is, is his twin. It could be that Abel's the second child born at a later time. It could be that Abel's not even the second child. It mentions that Adam and Eve in chapter 5 had other sons and daughters. Um, and so we just don't know. It's interesting. I, I, I read, uh, in, I think it's Josephus, that Jewish tradition says that Adam and Eve had 33 sons and 23 daughters. So I thought that was interesting. I don't know how they came about that. Uh, they lived for you know, hundreds of years, so that's very realistic that they would have had uh, you know, 56 children. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but we see here specifically mentioned Cain and Abel, and of course we're going to see later Seth is mentioned, but um, we don't know, again, is Abel the second born? Is he a twin? Is he later down the line? We're not sure, but the focus is on the relationship dynamic between Cain and Abel and, and their relationship to God and bringing this offering. Abel's name means breath or vapor or vanity, so some have suggested that uh, maybe Abel's born at a later time and her hopes of Cain being this promised seed are quickly removed as she sees that he's a sinful child and he, you know, just like we see children with the capacity to lie or to be dishonest or to throw a, a, a temper tantrum, whatever it may be, maybe her hopes are dashed and so by the time Abel comes, she just says, well, this hope is, is vain, it's vanity. Uh, we don't know. Again, that would be reading into the text a little bit, but it's at least worth noting what his name means. Um, so then we see in the second part of verse 2, their occupation. Okay, So Cain and Abel are born. They grow up, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep. So he's a shepherd, right? Uh, and then Cain is a worker of the ground. So he's like Adam. He's a farmer. So neither one of these occupations um, you know, is to be preferred over the other. It's not as though you know, shepherds this noble occupation and being a farmer is not they're just explaining what their background is what their occupation is what they came to do so Abel is it is interesting that he's really the first shepherd mentioned and we see throughout scripture uh, the picture of shepherds and we know David was a shepherd we know Jesus is called the good shepherd and that picture of of God being our shepherd so that is interesting to to see but they have these different occupations and so we come to verse 3 this sets the, sets the context for what we see in verse 3. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And we'll stop there. So it's doubtful that this is probably the first time that these men are offering uh, an offering to the Lord. Um, it almost seems to suggests that this is probably just a common occurrence that happened. Maybe once a year uh, they came. Maybe they, some commentators have said, maybe they approached, uh, you know, as close to Eden as they could get, and God would meet with them there, and they would offer some kind of offering. We don't know for sure, but um, it, it's doubtful that this is the very first time that they offer something to God. So they come, and we see here, it mentions, what does Cain bring as his offering? Fruit of the ground is all it says, right? Um, doesn't specify first fruits, doesn't specify best fruits, just he brings something from the ground. Okay, he's a farmer, 
He brings something from the ground. What does Abel bring? Who said something back there? Okay, so firstborn, and then what else does it mention about that offering? The fat portions, which are the best, the prized part, right? So you can already see a sense that Abel's bringing his very best. He's not holding anything back. There could be a level of maybe part of the reason that God rejects Cain's offering is there's, there's not a sense of I'm giving God my best. Could be. Um, what are some other possibilities, possible reasons for why God accepts Abel's offering and not Cain's? So that could be a possibility. What other possibilities? We don't see necessarily specifically here mentioned uh, other than maybe there's part of the reason I think mentioned, but what are some other reasons that God accepted Abel's offering but not Cain's? Ultimately, that's, and that's what we see revealed in the text, I think, that God knows their heart. And even if the offering would be acceptable otherwise, he knows their heart. You know, Abel's heart is right, Cain's is not. What are some other possibilities? Okay, that's a great question, because that's part of what a lot of people have said. Maybe God accepts the sacrifice of, of an animal... Uh, and rejects the fruit of the ground. We don't know if God up to this point has commanded that. Uh, It does make sense that that's a a strong possibility, that when God clothed Adam and Eve with the skins, maybe God told them this is the proper sacrifice, this is the proper offering. Because of your sin, death comes, and so an animal has to be sacrificed. It's possible that God's communicated that. We don't see that specifically. We know later on, when the law is given, that is the offering as far as our sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. But even in the law, there's mention of grain offerings. So there is an offering that's not a, a, a living animal being sacrificed that God would accept. So again, it might be part of it. We can't say for sure. But ultimately, like you said, it's, it's a heart issue. God knows their heart. And he knows that their heart, uh, Cain's heart is not right before him. Whereas Abel has a, an, an offering uh, he's giving his offering in a heart of faith, right? Hebrews eleven four, the very first person mentioned in that famous chapter, the hall of faith, we call it, is Abel. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So clearly we see Hebrews tells us Abel had a heart of faith, a heart of trust. Now, whether or not that is God had revealed that this was the only acceptable sacrifice, and so Abel's trusting him and and obeying what he said, but even if that's not the case, we see this heart of faith that Abel has as he's giving that offering. It's interesting to think, you know, there could be an element in Cain's heart. Again, we we don't know, but it's worth kind of chewing on and thinking through. Could be an element, maybe Cain is bringing the best of the ground, but he's doing it in a self-righteous way, right? He's, he's bringing, you know, he's a farmer, and so maybe he's gathering, you know, the best of his fields, and he's coming with a heart of, God, look what I've done. Like, look at, look at what I've produced. Um, that could be a measure of it where there's almost a self-righteousness, a works-based uh, righteousness that he's seeking after, whereas Cain's looking to the sacrifice of this animal, and it's a r- realization that I deserve to be the one that died, but 
God, you've given this provision of an animal to die in my place. So, again, something worth thinking on. We can't dogmatically say, but we can say that at the end of the day, it's their heart that God sees, and that's why he rejects Cain's and accepts Abel's offering. Okay? The rest of verse 4 tells us the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Verse 5, but Cain, for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so what is Cain's response to God not accepting his offering? He's angry, right? His face falls. There's anger. There's probably a sense of jealousy that we're going to see towards the fact that Abel's offering was accepted and his isn't. So we see this anger uh, upon him. And then God responds and pleads to Cain in verses 6 and 7. Um, it says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And you just see the patience of God in this. You know what I mean? Even with Adam and Eve, just God's patience. You know, he could have just, that's it, Cain, get out of here. You know, you, you have an angry heart. We can't tolerate that. But we see his patience and his grace in this that he asks Cain a question. Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So here's God playing with Cain, seeking to demonstrate to Cain, you know, I'm not playing favorites here. It's not that I have chosen Abel because I like him more and I don't like you. Look, if you have your heart right before me, if you come in the proper manner, um, if you do well, it says, then you'll be accepted as well. Your offering will be accepted. And so he encourages him, gives him that positive, you know, look, if you do what's right, I'll accept it. And then he also gives him a warning, right? But if you don't do well, realize that sin is there. It's ready to pounce. It's ready to overcome you. Its desire is against, what, against what's right for you, what's good for you. And so you've got to make a decision to try to rule over that, to do what's right. And so he pleads with him. He gives him this warning. It's interesting to consider this is the first mention of sin in scripture so as god's pleading with him you know don't let sin overcome you and rule over you instead rule over that choose to do what's right and so god sets before cain really two choices continue in the path you're going one of anger one of jealousy uh, or realize that if you go this route you will be accepted right you can overcome sin but sadly as we see in verse 8 cain continues down that path of anger and jealousy And we see in verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. So we see him continuing down this path of sin. Instead of ruling over sin, he allows sin to get the best of him. And we see here the first ever murder in human history. And there's almost a sense of premeditated murder here. Do you see it in the text? What, what would I, why would I say that? What in the text makes, makes you think that this is not just they're out there and they get heated and they're arguing and then he kills him in a fit of rage? Why does it look like there's almost a level of premeditation? Do you see it in verse 8? Yeah, it seems like, and I think there's even other, I can't remember where I saw this, but there's almost other accounts where it seems to suggest hey, come out to the field and let's talk about this, or it almost seems like that. And the text almost, you know, when they're out in the field, like this was maybe a time that they were out there where he knew this was an opportunity, no one was around where he could do this, or maybe it's an invitation to go out to the field. Whatever the case, it's, there's an opportunity 
to where I could kill my brother. And so when that opportunity comes, whether he points him to that, this is when he strikes, right? So there's almost a level of premeditating that when I have the opportunity, when no one's around, when I can hide what I've done, I'm going to kill my brother. And so he kills Abel. We're not told the manner in which he was killed. Was it a stone? Was it you know, strangling him? Whatever. We, we're not sure, but... Regardless of the means, we see the heart of hatred and anger that that kills his brother and jealousy. So he kills Abel. Um, There's almost a level we talked about verse 15 a lot last week. I want to read it again because, again, this is the promise, but it's also a promise of of struggle between good and evil. Verse 15 of chapter 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise or he shall bruise your heel or yeah, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. These are words spoken specifically to the serpent. And so it's interesting. We've we talked about ultimately this points us to Jesus, who's that promised seed that comes, that his heel is bruised in his crucifixion. Satan thinks he has the victory, but through the resurrection, the head of the serpent is crushed, and ultimately one day that will be you know, finally, finally done, completed that final victory. And so we know it ultimately points to Jesus, but we talked about how there's an element in this promise of a struggle, a strife between the seed of Satan and the seed, the offspring of God, right? We're all born as offspring of Satan. We're all born in the kingdom of darkness, as we're going to talk about in Colossians 1 this morning. Um, but only through faith can we become the offspring of God, right? And faith in, in Jesus specifically prior to him, just faith in what God's revealed. And so we see Abel is the offspring of God because he has faith. He trusts God. He comes to him with a proper heart, a heart of faith. Whereas Cain is really the offspring of Satan. His heart is filled with sin. His heart is filled with anger, with hatred. And so there's this enmity we see already. So Eve was expecting that Cain was going to be the fulfillment of that promise in the sense that he's the chosen seed. And she's thinking immediately God's going to fulfill this promise. And God doesn't reveal that in the sense of that promised seed coming to deliver, you know, mankind from the curse of, uh, you know, of God over sin. But it is immediately fulfilled in that we see this strife and this enmity between the seed of Satan and the seed of God. So it is interesting to think about that and how this plays out here. And so we almost see this picture of Abel's that first righteous person who's persecuted who's martyred because of his faith and so throughout history and even today we see this conflict still at hand right between the world and between those who are followers of of christ right yes okay Mm mm-hmm Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Right. Very good. Yeah, I mean, we see this. Chapter 4 really sets that trajectory of there's conflict between good and evil, and we see it played out in human beings in the sense of there's conflict between those who are followers of, of God and what he's revealed and those who are against it. So Old Testament, you know, you see God set aside a specific people 
that are going to be his people. And there's conflict from those outside. There's even conflict from within those who are part of the nation of Israel, but their heart is far from God. But ultimately you see it in Jesus coming and those who are redeemed and the persecution that the world brings to those who trust God. So we see this beginning here. And so Cain and Abel are used as examples of uh, faith, as we saw in Hebrews 11 with Abel. He's an example of faith and someone who's declared righteous, whereas Cain is used as a neg- negative example in Scripture. 1 John 3.12 says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So we see this idea of you know, Cain is that evil one. He's a descendant. He's a uh, one who is of the evil one, it says there in 1 John 3. So he chooses to do what's wrong because his deeds are evil. Again, there's almost a sense of jealousy that God accepted Abel because of his faith, but hadn't accepted him maybe because of his own righteousness or perceived righteousness. So then we come to verse 9 and 10, and we see just like with Adam and Eve after they sinned, God comes on the scene. God, in a sense, pursues them. And, and he know, of course, we know he knows what has happened. Just like we saw when he asked questions to Adam and Eve, it's not to find out. He's not investigating what happened. He's more giving them an opportunity to own up to what happened, to confess their sin, to, to turn and trust his mercy and grace. And so he does that with Cain as well in verse 9. The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Okay, so God knows full and well what's happening where Abel is, but he's giving Cain an opportunity to say, God, I didn't heed your warning. I didn't overcome sin. I let sin overcome me. You know, I've done this wicked thing. Please have mercy, grace, whatever it may be. Instead, how does Cain respond? The rest of verse 9. Okay. Deflecting, right? I don't know. So now he's guilty, he's, he's had false worship of God, not offering a proper sacrifice, you know, a faithless sacrifice. He's guilty of murder, and now he's guilty of lying directly to God. I don't know where Abel is. And then he even, can you, can you sense the sarcasm in how he says it, right? Um, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? He's a, a, a keeper of sheep, am I his keeper, right? There's a sarcasm here. And so we just see his heart is not changed. It's not been changed by God in any way. Um, And so he's continuing still headlong down this path of sin and rejection of God and uh, faithlessness. And so God says in verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So Cain probably, maybe he even thinks he's slick and maybe he thinks that he can keep this from God. Maybe God doesn't know what happened. Right. I don't know what happened. You know, imagine him out in the field and, you know, just like murderers today, he probably covered his tracks. Right. He probably maybe even had a hole already dug out there in the field that he threw Abel in and buried him and hid the evidence. And, hey, I got away with it. Right. That's probably his thinking. No one knows what happened. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. Abel's gone. You know, he could pull like what Joseph's brothers did. You know, maybe he got killed by an animal. Who knows? And, but God knows, right? God says, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. I know exactly what's happened. And so he, he acknowledges this, reveals to Cain that he knows exactly what's happened. And so then verse 11, we see God's punishment. 
to Cain uh, as he really sentences him to um, this punishment, verse 11 and 12. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So this is the first instance of God directly cursing a human being because of Cain's wickedness, because of his murder, his hatred, all those things we've talked about. He's directly cursed. And what is what are his consequences? In verses 11 and 12, what do you see? What are the consequences that he is now going to bear as he's cursed? Okay, so whereas when Adam and Eve sin, God already cursed the ground in a sense of saying it's not going to produce as easily. You're going to have to work hard for it. You know, it's still going to produce, but you're going to have to do it by the sweat of your brow. And Cain's a farmer, right? So he knows exactly how hard he's had to work to produce this food before. But now the curse is, hey, as hard as it was before, it's even harder now. It's almost impossible. So as a farmer... This is a pretty devastating blow. The thing that you probably enjoy doing, that you probably feel like you're good at, you're not even going to be able to produce anything. So there's a curse of the ground that it's not going to produce its strength. And then what else does God tell him is his punishment? Okay, a fugitive, a nomad, a wanderer. Um, And so, yeah, you're not going to settle down, right? A farmer's typically going to have a plot of land that he stays at, that he works at. Well, now you're not going to have that uh, production from the ground, and you're just going to wander around, okay? So then we see Cain's response in verse 13 and 14 to God's punishment. And see, as we read this, think to yourself, does Cain, is Cain softening up? Does he, is he starting to have a sense of uh, remorse or repentance here? Uh, verse 13 and 14 is where he responds. He says, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. What do you think? You think Cain's showing any sense of remorse or repentance? Okay. Right. I mean, that's what it feels like. There's a sense of remorse, but it's a worldly sorrow, right? It's a remorse over getting caught over the punishment, the consequences of his sin and not a repentance, which is confession to God, this is what I did that was wrong, and I deserve this, you know, I deserve your punishment. It's a worldly sorrow. Man, I got caught, right? Think about Saul, when he gets caught finally. He's more sorry of the consequences that have come, not the actions that he took. So we see this, it seems like a remorse of just, man, this is, this is, this punishment. And it's funny that, I mean, he's killed his brother, What should be the punishment? You know, if we looked at the Old Testament law, which is established later, what was the punishment for someone that murdered someone? Yeah, their life's taken. And so there's even a measure of grace in that God doesn't wipe him out right away, uh, doesn't execute him. And yet he's still like, this is, this is, you're too harsh on me, right? You just killed your brother, right? (laughs) Like you took his life and you're going to have the audacity to say that God's, punishing you too severely so again you just see his heart and how hardened it is and it's greater than i can bear i'm going to wander and i'm going to be a fugitive he says and then he says and whoever finds me is going to kill me okay so this is interesting too to think and we'll, we'll unpack this a little bit more 
um, next week because we have to start thinking about what does the world look like um, as far as what people are on the earth to this point, okay? Um, and we'll, we'll dive into this because we see in verse 17, and, and this will be just kind of a something to be thinking through this week, but in verse 17 it talks about Cain knew his wife, and so there's all kind of questions as to, okay, wait, because sometimes we're thinking, okay, Adam and Eve at this point have had Cain and Abel, and that's all the people that are on the earth. So if he's wandering away, there's nobody that's going to find him. But you realize, again, there's no time frame given here. There's probably hundreds of years that have passed. There's probably a major, uh, you know, a population of people, not huge at this point, but there's a population of people. And who are these people going to be in relation to Cain? Brothers, sisters, maybe cousins or uh, uncles or whatever, however that works at this point so immediate immediate family and it's interesting that even in the law when someone was found guilty of murder and they were given the punishment of execution i think there's a provision in god's law that a family member of the person that was killed couldn't execute that right and so we see even in god's response he says this isn't going to happen right verse 15 not so if anyone kills cain vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold so as bad as it is for you if anybody Take, seeks to take justice into their own hands, they're going to have seven times the consequences, right? And so God gives them this provision. Uh, he's going to put a mark. Really, the word is better, sign. Give, give Cain some kind of sign so that those who find him won't attack him, won't take you know, a sense of vigilante justice, right? That's not justice in God's eyes. He's laid out the punishment, and so we as human beings aren't to go above and beyond what God has said. You know, true justice is what God has said is right and what's wrong. And so God gives him this provision. Again, we see his grace in that, you know, God could have said, too bad, Cain, you, you made your bed. Go wander, and if people find you and kill you, that's your, your uh, bed. That's your lot in life, right? But we see God's provision of grace and not allowing this to happen and putting some kind of sign upon uh, Cain and there's a lot of debate what is this what is this sign or mark some have said maybe it's some kind of like tattoo on his forehead some say it was interesting I don't know how they came to this conclusion but there's somebody that thinks that it was a dog I, I'm serious there are a couple commentators that said and they, they weren't saying that they believe this but they were saying it as though it was a pretty common belief by a lot of people but that God gave Cain this dog that walked around with him that when someone would come near or whatever, the dog would talk, talk to them and say, you can't kill it. I don't know how they come to that conclusion, but I thought it was interesting. So we don't know. It's all debatable. It doesn't tell us in Scripture what this sign is. But regardless of what it is, maybe it's a miraculous means by which God is demonstrating that Cain can't be killed or, or showing some kind of sign to people that would want to kill Cain because of uh, wanting to seek that vigilante justice. We're not told. But again, God's provision is you're not going to be killed. You don't have to worry about um, someone coming and, and killing you in your sleep, which again, he doesn't have to do, right? Hey, you, got, you murdered your brother. If you get murdered, what, what's that, right? Well, it almost seems like, yeah, yeah, part of me thinks it's more of a, hey, you killed our brother, you killed our, you know, this Abel's this righteous guy that the family probably adored, and they probably didn't care much for Cain because of his attitude. There's probably other conflict within the family, surely. 
And now you've killed Abel. It's probably we want to avenge our good brother's death is what, I, what it seems like. But So there's a provision of God's grace, but I think there's also a demonstration of God's justice in this because he's probably using Cain as an example to the rest of the people on earth. This is what happens. This is still not an easy path to go, that he's a wanderer, that he's you know, got nowhere that he can really go, that the ground's not going to produce um, you know, fruit for him. So whether that means he's just wandering around looking for any kind of food he can find out in the wild, any kind of wild berries or trees that may be growing fruit, um, but whatever the case, we just see that it's almost a picture of God's justice in that he's an example of this is what happens when you sin. So there's a measure of, I think, God's mercy and justice in this picture. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no... I mean, at this point, they've probably built some kind of, of, of home or house that they can live in, so now he's got to go out and... No help to, you know, he's just a wanderer, right? And so we see verse 16, um, what we'll wrap up with today, that, that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And so I've, I've read this verse a few times and thought, well, here's Cain still not obeying God's punishment because he's not wandering. He's, it says he settled somewhere, but the word Nod actually means uh, wander. So it could just be a way of saying now he's settling in that aspect of wandering and, and all that. Nod is never used anywhere else in Scripture as like a specific location. So it could be that this is just saying, yeah, he departed and he embraced what, I mean, whether he wanted to embrace it or not, this was his punishment to be a wanderer. So um, it's hard to know either way. Did, is he disobeying? He does, we see in the next few verses, build a city. So it seems like there's some sense of I'm going to settle here, I'm going to establish myself in a place, but we see him depart there. So any quick questions uh, as we wrap up about anything we've touched on here? We'll pick up again with verse 17 and try to finish the chapter um, and see really Cain's descendants, talk a little bit about, you know, what the population of the earth looks like at this point. You know, where did Cain get his wife? Who is his wife? That kind of thing. But any other questions about what we've touched on verses 1 through 16? Yeah, true, and he and he may have been married prior to, you know, the murder of Abel. We, we don't know. Again, it does. It's not seeking to lay out necessarily a time frame here. It's just more a showing that dynamic and showing that sin and showing that picture really of the struggle between those who are in Christ, those who are followers of God, and those who are you know of Satan. Right. All right. Well, let's pray, and then we will be dismissed. Father, we just thank you for your word today. And we thank you for the example of Abel and his faith and um, just trusting your provision, uh, the sacrifice that he made um, that was done in faith and probably an acknowledgement of his sin and the consequences of it. And so, Lord, help us to look to his example to trust you by faith. Help us to see the example of Cain and 
seek to avoid going down that path of allowing sin to overcome us in even smaller areas that can uh, can compound and can can grow in our life or help us to um, even as Debbie mentioned put off the old man those old desires the person we were before we came to faith in Christ help us to be putting that person away uh, not in our own strength but in the strength of your spirit and to put on the new man to produce the fruit of righteousness the fruit of the spirit uh, so give us the strength to do that each step of of, the, of our life as we grow closer in our walk with you and uh, we'll give you all the praise and we pray for our service here in just a few moments that you'd uh, bless our time worshiping you through singing through being attentive to your word May you be magnified today in our presence, in Jesus' name.